0: They were all amazed, and they glorified God, and they were saying, we have never seen anything like this. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. They didn't teach me that in seminary is a favorite expression among clergy types. They didn't teach me that in seminary. When the pandemic came in earnest, I heard countless colleagues say those exact words when churches had to figure out how to get from being in person to being online. But they didn't teach me how to do that in seminary. It's what clergy types will say when we hear news from the denomination. They say, you need to convey this, this change in polity to your parishioners on Sunday. And we say, "What?" But they didn't teach me how to do that in seminary. It's also what we say when something goes wrong with the church building. And they say, hey, you have some uh, plumbing skills. Can't you replace that toilet and The pastor says, yeah, but they didn't teach me how to do that in seminary. The irony with that, though, is there is no vocation with which you could have everything you need to know by the time you graduate. Can you imagine how boring your life would be if you knew everything you needed to know the day you graduated? It doesn't sound like a lot of fun. And yet I must confess that those words, they didn't teach me that in seminary. They have escaped my lips once or twice or 999 times before. But the first time I can ever remember saying it was the first time I was tasked with a service of committal to the grave. Now in seminary, I learned all about having corporate worship and having services of death and resurrection in a church. I learned all about providing pastoral care in places like hospitals and homes. I, I learned about how to convey the gospel to children, all these sorts of things. But no one ever taught me what you're supposed to do at the grave. I was 25 years old when I became a pastor. I had been to a lot of funerals. I had never been to a burial service. So I found myself one afternoon having done a funeral service. The family saying, we're going to see you over at the cemetery, right, preacher? And I said, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. And while I was in the car, I prayed the whole time, Lord, I have no idea what I'm doing. Please make a way where there is no way. Make something of my nothing. And in short order, I was standing outside in a cemetery, right in front of a casket, surrounded by a family, and they were all looking at me, waiting for me to say something. So I did what every good preacher does. I said, let us pray. And it was silent, and I muttered to myself, Lord, this would be a good time to show up. Because Pastor Taylor ain't got nothing. And in the most fleeting of moments, a story from Scripture popped in my head. So I said, Amen. Listen, I will tell you a story. There was a time in Capernaum, Jesus has just called the disciples, and word about him has started to spread, so much so that when he goes home, crowds begin to gather because they want to catch a glimpse of this man, this son of a carpenter, and what he can do. So many people arrive at the house that they can't even get in. They're spilling out in the streets, and there is a man in Capernaum who's paralyzed. He's sitting there on his mat, and he's got friends. and not ordinary friends. They're very good friends. Because they hear about Jesus, they pick up their paralytic friend on his mat, and they carry him all the way to the house. But like I said, they're really good friends, because when they get there, and there are too many people in the way, they carry the paralyzed man on top of a roof. And they go from roof to roof to roof. And because they're brilliant, they brought shovels with them, because when they get to Jesus' roof, they start to dig through the roof. And then they lower their friend to Jesus. Jesus looks at the paralyzed man, and then he looks at his friends who are still on the roof. And he says, because of their faith. Notice, he does not say because of the paralyzed man's faith. Because of their faith, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, if the story ended there, it would be good enough for the gospel because it's it's just wild stuff. It's got all the intrigue of a good story. It's got a problem that has to be overcome. You've got friendship. You've got adversity. You've got all this stuff going on. But, of course, the story doesn't end there. And it's so strange that Jesus forgives him his sins. That doesn't seem to be the man's problem. He can't walk. You would hope that Jesus would get the memo on this one. He doesn't need his sins forgiven. He needs his legs back. But that's not what Jesus does. He says, because of your friend's faith, your sins are forgiven. That's so strange. But of course the story doesn't end there because there's some do-gooding religious types, the scribes, people like us, who are sitting around and they're grumbling in their hearts about this man and what he's done and what he said. Who do you think he is? He's blasphemy. You can't forgive. Only God can forgive. And Jesus says, hey, check this out. What do you think's easier? To tell him he's forgiven or to tell him to get up and walk? But just so you know that heaven is standing right in front of you, I'm going to do both. So he looks at the paralyzed man And he says, take up your mat, walk. And then he says, go home. Not go dance in the streets, not go throw a party. He says, go home. It's a very interesting story. People saw this happen, and they glorified God, and they said, we have never seen anything like this. Now here I am, I'm standing in the middle of a cemetery, surrounded by a family, and they are all looking at me like, why are you telling us this story? What does that have to do with grandma who we're burying in the grave? And I said, gathering here, we are like those friends who carry the one we love to Jesus. It's what we do in the beginning with baptism. We make a covenant. We promise to raise someone in the faith, to carry them to Jesus when they need to be carried, and that is what we're doing here right now. When we're in a cemetery, we are, like those friends, lowering our friend back to the Lord. We are returning them home. Because when we do this, we don't say goodbye. We say, until next time. Until the Supper of the Lamb, when God raises all of us up and we feast at the Supper of the Lamb that goes on forever and ever. where There's no more crying and no more weeping, and death will be no more. And then I reached down and picked up some dirt that had been dug up from the grave, and I placed it on the casket, and I started singing a song that I have now sung at every graveside I've ever done. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, oh sinner, come home. And I said, in the name of the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit. It's a strange thing, I think, to be a Christian very strange thing. There was a time, of course, where it wasn't so strange to be Christian. Everyone just assumed that you were a Christian if that's part of being a citizen. You know, you went to church on Sunday mornings. That time is long, 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 long gone. But now, today, being a Christian is a radical witness of how God works in the world because we are not like other people. In short, we can approach the throne of God with trembling hope because we know better than most that we can't take anything for granted. To be a Christian is to know that, as the hymn continues to go, time is now fleeting. The moments are passing. We know that the bell will toll for us all. We know that we can't take our days for granted. We also know that the world is not what the kingdom of God is. We know that we are not defined by our mistakes or our sins. We are only defined by who God says we are. We know that the great good news of Jesus Christ is that he is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. But the world tells us something different. See, to you that might not sound strange, but you're in church on a Sunday morning. To the world, what I just said sounds confounding and bizarre and outlandish. Because the world tells us that as long as we buy certain products and dress a particular way, that we get to hang out forever. Until the bell tolls for us. The world tells us that our mistakes, they hang around our necks, and we will only ever be seen by our sins and our shortcomings. The world forces us to believe that we are completely alone and that the only person we can ever depend on is yourself. But to be Christian is to be different. We worship a God who became, like us, who arrived in the muck and mire of our lives to be the difference that makes us different. We follow the Lord who is not only capable of forgiving our sins but of raising the dead. The difference between the world and the church is that the world assumes we can earn and achieve everything we need. Whereas in the church, we're reminded that the everything we really need is already done for us in Jesus. That's how we have the church. The church mediates Christ to us. The church is a means of grace that communicates who Christ is to us over and over again through sermons and songs and sacraments. Basically, the church teaches us who we are. The church gives us good news while the world is drowning in bad news. The friends in scripture, they bring their friend to Jesus. They won't let anything stand in their way. They do something wild and reckless. Not only do they dig through the roof. Has anybody here ever dug through a roof before? Not only do they dig through the roof, they believe that this first century son of a carpenter, this rabbi, can make a way where there is no way. That he can make the impossible possible. And they're going to do whatever it takes to see it through. And then, when Jesus does his Jesus thing, the crowds say, we have never seen anything like this. The church is at her best when those are the words on our lips when we leave on Sunday morning. We've never seen anything like this. That's how I leave feeling on Sunday morning. After I hear the kids sing, after we pray, after we get to have sacrament. I leave, I, you know, we do a lot of the same things over and over again because we're formed by what we do, but I leave pretty much every Sunday thinking, I can't believe that just happened. I hope that's how you feel. I've never seen anything like this before. Our expectation is to be surprised. Because we worship the God who makes all things new. Now today, we're talking about, we're thinking about witness. It's the final aspect of church membership. When you join a United Methodist Church, you vow to support the church with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness final part. And I think it's all too easy to take the theme of witness and we boil it down to church growth strategy. Another way, In other words, how do we get more butts in the pews on Sunday morning? Which is another way of just saying evangelism. But that's not really what witness is. Now, there's a church that's not too far from here that is growing leaps and bounds. It's busting at the seams. They have to buy new folding chairs every month to accommodate all the people who show up on Sunday morning. And when the pastor was asked, to what do you attribute the growth you're, you're seeing in your church? He said, oh, it's our iPad giveaway program. <laughs> it's a true story. Every Sunday in that church, they have an iPad they put on the altar. Every person when you come to church, you get one raffle ticket. But if you bring somebody to church with you, you get two raffle tickets. And they give away an iPad every single Sunday. They are, those people who are going to the church, they are being converted to something. I assure you, it's not the kingdom of God. Our iPad giveaway program. Now, notably in our denominational neck of the woods, that is the United Methodist Church, there is this rather sobering statistic that haunts me. It's perfect for the day before Halloween. The average person in the United Methodist Church invites someone else to church once every 38 years. <laughs> The average person in the Methodist church invites someone else to church once every 38 years. That means I still have four years to go before I have to invite somebody if I want to keep that statistic average. I read that statistic my very first Sunday, the 4th of July, a whole year ago, more than a year ago. And my son, sorry Elijah, I didn't ask for your permission. I'm going to tell a story really quick. I'll keep it short. He heard me say that the average person doesn't invite somebody but once every 38 years. The first day he walked to Wasina Elementary School, the crossing guard, he walked up to her and said, I'd like to invite you to church on Sunday. <laughs> and she came. He was five. I'm trying to change the statistics in the United Methodist Church. But even so, I mean, even with the reluctance that we feel to invite people to church, I actually think the church is in a great place. Because no longer is the church just one of many things. The church is God's mission in the world. It's God's parable for the world. It's God's hands and feet for the world. We don't have to be like everybody else. We get to be the church. The early church grew leaps and bounds, not because they were giving away tablets... Not because they were going out in the streets of Corinth with tracts about, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. None of that happened. Do you know why the early church grew? Because Jesus was dwelling in the hearts of the earliest Christians and it was changing the lives of other people. Those early Christians, they were shining a light. People saw them. Do you all know Freeman? I love Freeman. Freeman's got a great mustache. Freeman plays in the bells. I love Freeman. If you know Freeman, you know he's not like other people. He's got a joy in his heart. There's something, like, effervescent about, about Freeman. And you know what it is? It's Jesus. Same thing with Fred sister. Fred drives me crazy all the time. <laughs> but I've never met anyone like Fred. And you know why Fred's different? Because of Jesus. If you encounter someone who's got Jesus living in them the way that Freeman does and Fred does, you can't help but want to know more. John Wesley said... If you set yourself on fire, people will come from miles to watch you burn. (laughs) Are we on fire for Jesus? It's a very important question. The early church grew because they were on fire. Rich Mullins, I've been quoting Rich Mullins every Sunday during the sermon series. It's so good. I love Rich Mullins. Rich Mullins once said, I am a Christian not because someone explained the nuts and bolts of Christianity, but because there were people who were willing to be the nuts and bolts. I'm not a Christian because someone explained to me Christianity, how it works, the nuts and bolts, but because people were willing to be nuts and bolts for us. In other words, people carried him to Jesus. People made Jesus real for him. The God we worship is a healer of broken things. And sometimes the thing God heals is not our broken bodies. God heals broken hearts, broken spirits, broken promises. Because in the cross and in the resurrection, we start to see and believe that the one who said, your sins are forgiven, had the power to do absolutely that. I love, it. the paralytic did absolutely nothing to earn his forgiveness. He didn't even ask for it. He didn't do anything. He didn't go to church every Sunday. He didn't tithe he didn't go to a new membership class. He didn't go to a Wednesday night Bible study. The only thing he had going for him was they had good friends. Friends who were already living into the inbreaking of God's kingdom in the world. Every one of us here, whether we know it or not, we are here because someone or some people carried us to Jesus. We are products of those who made Jesus real for us, those who were willing to be the nuts and the bolts. Which in the end is actually what it means... To witness. It's to live according to the good news of God in the world as if our lives depended on it because they do. Whatever Christianity is, it is at least the discovery of friends we did not know we had. The only reason any of you know anybody in this room is because of Jesus. There is a version of your life where you never knew anybody that's here right now. But you do because Jesus called you his friend and called you to be friends with the people around you. Whatever Christianity is, it is at least the discovery of friends we did not know we had. Friends who are willing to be the nuts and the bolts of the faith, those who are willing to make it real for us, friends who are willing to carry us to Jesus from baptism to death over and over again because Jesus really is the difference who makes us different. Are we on fire? For Jesus. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen. Amen.